Hello everyone, I am Fola Shade Anosier and you are welcome to another episode of the SNC podcast, a show helping people better understand the intriguing world of music, arts and entertainment through insightful conversations with African artists, creatives, lawyers, music and business executives. My guest for this episode is Rosaline Aniyi, a Nigerian-based social entrepreneur and founder of the Vesta Orchestra an independent Nigerian-based orchestra dedicated to the promotion of music by classical composers of African descent, which have been largely ignored for centuries. The orchestra commissions classical music and operatic works by contemporary composers of African descent and showcases African influence in classical music. With a goal to spotlight the tremendous musical talent on the African continent, Rosalind and her team encourage young composers and performers to contribute to the classical genre and they provide musicians a stage to display their talent. Rosalind is also the founder of the Vesta Opera Foundation and Vesta Violins, Nigeria's first violin repair workshop. Hi, Rosalind. Hi, Shadi. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, no, thank you. Thank you for, first of all, I was late. <laughs> and then, I know. And I feel like I'm someone who's like always like, you know, guests have to be on time. So thank you for being so gracious. And most importantly, thank you for welcoming me into your home. It's Welcome. such a lovely, lovely home. How has your week been? Um, it's been lovely. We had a rehearsal uh, on Wednesday, very long rehearsal. And um, leading up to rehearsal and after rehearsal, there's a lot of planning, you know. So, yeah, it's been lovely. That's good. Were you by any chance stuck in the flooding? No. no? Nope. I try as much as possible to stay off Lagos streets. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> I ain't that one chance yet. <laughs> oh, my God. I try my best. I feel like, is, that, is flooding um, central just to the island? Like, island like Lekki area, Jao, doesn't happen on, in VI and Igoi, no? I think you can tell that there's a lot more planning that went into Ikoi, less in VI, even less in, in, in Lekki. We can see that. On the mainland as well, a lot of planning went into the mainland. So it rains, yes, it floods, but within two hours it's gone, like it is in Ikoi. Outside of that, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, I was in trouble yesterday. But anywho, I'm glad I made it here. And um, (laughs) exactly. Likewise, one of the most interesting things I, I, I guess, when I was doing my research about you is that you spent a large part of your life, which is pretty much like a decade, in Vienna, Austria, right? And I haven't been to Austria, and I really do. I would like to go because it's the scene. It's the. It's not even the scene. It's the place of one of my favorite movies of all time, Sound of Music. But I've seen a couple of videos of people that either they live in Austria that are black and people of color, okay. or they um, went to visit Austria. Okay. And their comments pretty much are like, they, um, Austria isn't welcoming to black people and people of color. Is that true for you? Was that true for you or that's not something that you have experienced? Um, I can't take away from people's experiences. What you experience is what you experience. But having lived there so long, for them, the greatest what they respect the most is people who come and want to know their culture. Black people, whether we like it or not, are used to taking what consumers. So people want to go, like they go to the UK or the US, shop, make their money speak for them, and they want to be respected because of that. And it doesn't happen in Austria. 
because the standard of living is so high. Nobody cares about what you're spending or what money you have. You have to come into the country with respect. That's how they reason. So they usually like people who speak their language, which is almost impossible for black people. I understand. You speak German, right? Of course. I, yeah, speak, yeah. I studied at the University of Vienna. So before I left Nigeria, I had studied at a Goethe Institute. So I speak German. And um, I love the country. I love how they love their country. And when you love something, you don't want people to take it for granted. So for people of color or for Africans who have these comments, I just smile and keep quiet. We don't have things that we really love. That's the reality. You are totally right that you can't take it from anybody's experience and what someone what someone may experience is not what you experience, but I'm glad that you're able to give some context to what it yeah. is about, you know, living there and how people in Austria think. So based on that conversation, I think we're going to go. I'm going to yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, find, we'll, make, we'll, make, yeah, we'll make it. <laughs> so if you loved Austria or you love Austria so much, what made you leave and come back to Nigeria? That was always the plan. Um, I was going to school and then school turned to work and living and all that and all that. And then I waited for the time to be right to return. I've always believed in Nigeria. And no matter how bad it gets, I will believe in Nigeria because I was born here. And because, um, yeah, I mean, it could sound cliche, but it is the land of my father. And I want to thrive in the land of my father. It doesn't matter how successful you are elsewhere. You want to be celebrated at home, even if it's your, your tiny little circle. But it's the land that gave birth to me, and that weighs, it weighs a lot for me. So it was always the plan, right? Yeah. Why did you want to come back? Because even if that's the plan, so, uh-huh, go ahead. Um, my mom and dad were always, you know, at home, we, we talk a lot. Uh, you see, I don't have a television. At home, we, we had a television, but it was rarely ever watched because we were talking all the time. That There were books we read, and it would go around the house, or they would buy two copies, my parents, and then people are reading the book at the same time, and we would discuss. And part of the discussion was always, what can you do? What can you contribute? You always have to approach life from that perspective. What can I make better? Who can I? Whose life can I impact? Because we have been blessed because... Um, I mean, my parents were not wealthy or any. They were wealthy. They were not rich. That's what I would say. We were wealthy in experience and love and content and, you know, but they didn't have, like, money rich. <laughs> so values were quite huge for them and are quite huge for them, and they passed that on to us. And so when I would come home every year, my dad said he had to come home every year to keep the connection, you know. I would go to the musical society for a concert because I remember, and we grew up going to the musical society. And I would observe these musicians who were tremendously, I could see they were tremendously talented, but I couldn't hear it. You couldn't hear, you could see in their body language, and I could see because I'm a musician, I'm a violinist, and you just couldn't hear it because their instruments were quite bad. And so I started to think along that that line, who, who can help these people? Because it's quite a shame you have all these people coming to school to study music at the Musical Society, at the University of Lagos, University of Ibadan, University of Unsuka. They have these fantastic music departments, fantastic talent coming out of there. But where are they? Why are they getting lost? Why don't we have some representation? And being in Austria, I mean, I lived behind the opera house and I've seen all these wonderful musicians. I, I played in a hobby orchestra. You know, and I thought to myself, these people are not more talented than the people I see in Nigeria. They just have better opportunities. And that's when it started to occur to me, I could, I could actually help these people, but how? You know, and the question and the question and the answer started coming. And so, yeah, 
I, I started to think about, and then I had to buy a, a violin, and the violin maker was a woman who, um, wonderful lady, Angelica, who um, let me pay for a 6,000 euro violin over about three years, a little over three years. And it struck me, if I opened a violin workshop in Lagos, I could get really good instruments and let the people pay in installments, the musicians, because they wouldn't be able to afford them otherwise. You know, and that became a plan. And I took a year off work at the IEA, went to England to a workshop to study violin restoration, and um, went back to Vienna, finished out my contract with the IEA, started working at the Bank of Brazil, and then it was time to come home. Hi, I want to share with you a little bit about the sponsor of this episode, Notam Expertus Nigeria. They are a promotional marketing and consulting firm based in Lagos, Nigeria. They provide tailored promotional printing services to individuals and organizations across various sectors and industries. I really like that they work with different types of clients, big and small. They actually helped me with the merch for the podcast. I remember speaking with the representative about what I wanted the t-shirts to look like and they were incredibly attentive to my needs. You can actually check out our Instagram page to see what some of the shirts look like. What is also great is that they just don't do t-shirts. They also offer printing production services for materials such as face caps, pens, umbrellas, drinkware, and so much more. So if you are looking for a company in Nigeria to help you achieve your promotional marketing product needs, call them on 0803-257-7980. You can also find them on Instagram at Notam Expertus. That is N-O-T-A-M-E-X-P-E-R-T-U-S. First of all, what... Does violin restoration entail? The violin, the instruments of the viol family are the violin, the viola, the cello, the double bass. And they're made with, um, with wood, you know, crafted um, by luthiers. And when there's damage or there, is, there are repairs that need to happen, you need to know how to do that. Now, usually a maker does not know how to repair, which is very interesting. And it, a repairer doesn't necessarily know how to make. But you do meet one or two makers who are repairers as well. Usually these are two separate fields that people specialize in. And yeah. Why is that the case? What can I tell you? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's just, it's, that's very interesting. It's quite interesting because the person who has made the instrument knows um, how to bring it from beginning to finish. He does not break it down, so to speak. But the person who has to restore it, has to study the finished product and understand when something goes wrong, this is where you go in to fix it. That's that's all I can, you know. <laughs> no, that's great, yeah. So when you were at the Bank of Brazil, you now said, okay, it's time for me to go back home. What was that process like for you in terms of just moving back? Did you have to, because here you are saying, okay, I want to help make a difference, right? I want to set up Vesta. Your company is called Vesta Violins, right? Yes. So were you doing the CAC, all that CAC registration and all of that when you got here? Oh, no, I, I did the CAC in 2013. It was about three years before I moved back. Wow. This was when I was in England at the workshop um, because it was clear to me, okay, this is the name of the company. This is what the company is going to do. So my sister registered it for me in Abuja. So I had the documentation and I knew what the company was going to do. Um, 
interesting enough, I had I worked after school, or whilst I was at school, um, I got the job at the IEA. And then when I finished my contract, it was about seven years, I, I worked at the Bank of Brazil for just about six months. And I was praying and I was thinking, okay, how do I know? I don't want to move one second earlier than I'm meant to because I know what being in the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the wrong time can do to you. And so I was waiting to hear, okay, how do I know? And then I was fired. From the Bank of Brazil? From the Bank of Brazil. What? After working, yeah. It said Why? I, they said I didn't fit into the culture. And they were quite right because I was waiting to go back to Nigeria. So mentally, I wasn't there. I was doing my job very, you know, rudimentarily. I was there every day and I did everything I had to do, but I was not swinging in the spirit of the company and they needed that, which is what I observed, you know. So I was, I mean, I was fired and I smiled and I was in my mind, I was like, oh, thank you, Lord, the answer has come. And they were looking at me, you know, weird, like, why is she smiling? I said, thank you so much. It's been wonderful six months. And all the while in my mind, I'm like, I can go home now. <laughs> yeah. But I still took a few months, about three months before I returned, you know, had to wrap up things over there. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's encouraging. <laughs> you know, it's that whole thing of like, sometimes what's, what is sad can also yes. be good, oh, you yes. know? Oh, yes. So, so you, ha you did Vesta violins. Then you also have a company called the Vesta orchestra. Well, well the Vesta orchestra operated under Vesta violins. I see. And then I registered the Vesta orchestra and opera foundation. That is where the Vesta orchestra is part of the foundation. Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking that it's one thing for you to say you want to do the violins for people. You want to come and set up a violin company for restoration, right? Okay. And you said that when you used to come back to Nigeria, you would see people like playing and you noticed that their instruments were not really good. What led to the establishment of the orchestra? Because you could have just, uh -huh. you could have, exactly, you could have just, well, spoke, okay. Uh -huh. Well, like when, when I said this was always the plan, from the beginning, when I say the beginning, um, I did wonder why we don't have like a concert house, a proper concert house here. We had the National Theatre. I, I know there's still a few things that go on, but when we were younger, there was full-on activity over there. And unfortunately, the, the government allowed this slum to grow around it, and you can't do anything there now. So I'm not sure what their plans are. They say they're renovating, but I don't know who's going to go there at night. That's the reality. And that has always worried me. We have this wonderful monument. We don't have anything else. And um, well, what happens to all these musicians? Where's the stage for them to perform? You know, when I would come and I would go to the musical society, it was just a, this one stage. What, what about all the other people? You know, and so it was at the back of my mind. And when I thought about the, the violins, I'm like, okay, so if you sell these expensive instruments to these people, where do they play them? It's not enough to play at church on Sunday. A musician needs to play every day. They need to play every week for an audience to, to express and to perform what they've been working on and so that kept nagging at the back of my head and when I came and so immediately I started to sell and I, I spoke to a friend who gave us his um, our very first performance space was a private gallery in VI owned by a friend and I mentioned to him you know I had thought about this thing of, of, of starting this concert series he was like you can start here I'm like oh, I was thinking maybe in two years time <laughs> yeah he's like no start next month yeah and I started like two months and that's how it took off, you know, and I always, you know, thank him for that because he just pushed me off the edge. It's like, what are you waiting for? Do it now, you know, use this space. And he let us use it for about three or four concerts. And then we went to other, like other little venues. People invited us to come play till we are where we are now. Now, just to go back a little, how, okay? 
Sorry? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, how did you go about identifying the people that were going to be part of your orchestra? I mean, I grew up here. <laughs> so I, I have musician friends, and I said to them, listen, before I came, I said to one of Kemi and to Julius, who, who are still they're with me now, um, I said, we have to do this thing so that all our effort isn't in vain. Kemi is a teacher at a number of schools, and I'm like, what are your students looking up to? You know, like in Vienna, when I would attend classes, the spur was always so that you can play at this concert house, so you can play at the opera house, so you can, you know, what is what is the goal here? There's nothing you tell your children. So they, they agreed, and they say, yeah, we have to. We know a few people who will want to be part of this, because there's lots of musicians, but you need the right people who are going to walk with you the length of the way as much as they can. And so when I came back, I said, okay, please, could you call these people? And slowly, they started coming. A few years, a few of them left, and then others joined us. And we've been steady. But I've had about the same group of eight since the beginning. I'm very grateful for that. Now, some of the, would I say criticism? Yeah, criticisms and commentary around classical music. Because what you do is Afro-classical, right? Is it Afri or Afri-classical? Why is it Afro, Afri versus Afro? African. Okay. I mean, it makes logical sense, Shadi. <laughs> yeah. I, I, did, I, did not, I don't no. understand the Afro yeah, part. Yeah. Like, I, whenever I hear Afro, I always think of a hairstyle. You know, it's true. Like African classical music, you know, is, is what I was aiming at. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah. When you talk about Afri- African or African classical music, mm-hmm. one of the criticisms, and quite frankly, it is understandable because people are hungry, my sister, you know? People think that African classical music or just classical music in general is for Westerners. It's not Mm -hmm. African. Mm -hmm. But you're someone who you don't subscribe to that view. People like to dismiss what they don't understand. I've noticed that here. You know, people want to dismiss what they don't want to think about. If I said to someone, the suit is not African, what would they say to me? And yet you have designer fashion houses here who make their, their living off of that. They've accepted the suit. So it's a matter of those who want to accept it, accepting it. Even in Vienna, capital city of the world, a quarter of the population is not interested in classical music. You won't believe that, you know. And Austria is a country of about 8 million people. But there is a core of people who strongly are for it. And it's the same thing here. I believe there's a core, there's a group. There's not just a group, there's a core following, so to speak, who believe that we need music of, of different genres, we can't stick to one and tell ourselves we are exporting Nigerian culture when in reality it's just entertainment, you know. The major misconception of classical music is that it is it belongs to the white man. It was actually folk music that was taken and scored out. It is the art of writing the music that is classical. It was developed in the classical era is, is why it took on this name. It's actually called art music. Because you're writing it down, you're writing the music down. The way you draw, you draw a painting is the way you write the music. So it is art music is what it's actually called. But because it was discovered in this period of time, it's called classical music, and it has the name has kept it in that era. And so a number of people just say art music today. But then you have this long conversation, what's art music? <laughs> you know, then some people come with African art music or Nigerian art music. And so I thought, okay, I'll stick to Afri-classical. Because then people start to want, okay, it tells you immediately, are you saying African music has classical music? What are you saying? And yes, it does, because we, our music is now, people are beginning to write down our music, you know? Thank you for that insightful context, because mm-hmm. I, I didn't really know that. Mm-hmm. And... um just 
sticking with that point of misconceptions, mm-hmm. one of the predominant misconceptions is that not only is it <laughs> not for Africans, mm-hmm. it's the fact that classical music is for people that got money. Because mm-hmm. people who are hosting on the street ain't going to listen to, you know, this <laughs> one has beat you. <laughs> You understand, but you and um, but you're someone who's very passionate about like you like you were just explaining. Even your friend Kemi that you said mm-hmm. teaches music in schools. You're such a big um, supporter or advocate of having music, in having schools. exact music in schools because it is scientifically proven from research and from you know experience that children do better at school when they are taught music. Look, I'll tell you, we went to the um, government college at Ikoyon Osborne. Um, we approached the principal and uh, spoke about wanting to start this program of after-school music programs for the, for children in public schools. Our foundation is start, starting that this month. And he was so excited. And the other 10 principals we met said, listen, we say this, to, but you can't tell your, your employer, to you can't educate your employer, but we tell them educating children without music is a waste of time. Because music activates the motor skills of the brain. And students do better when they have music classes. They do better in maths, in English, because it heightens their listening skills, their their attention to detail, their being able to pay attention for longer periods of time. And so why wouldn't we add it to, to our curriculum, You know, which is what we're pushing for now, is um, get the government to... Yeah, we're starting with 10 schools. And we hope with time we're able to get sponsored to do more until the government sees it's a necessity and then they start to pay for it. What about the instruments? Who's going to provide those instruments to these children? That's the sponsorship we need. You know, we need to buy instruments for the students. We've been given a room. We need to renovate that. We've been given their science lab, you know. They were very happy to give it to us. And uh, we need to renovate that and put in some furniture for the instruments uh, so we can teach the children. And yeah, all of that comes in from from sponsors which we've we've talked to a few people um, but we haven't gotten quite the response we want and so we're going to look for how to start it on our own just so that it takes off yeah i mean i had music in secondary school yeah i don't see yeah i had i had music classes yes although i i can't read music you know it's fine yeah it's one of the struggles i feel like i really wish i was able to read music but i do have an ear for music Mm. music that's and my my musical taste is very varied you know very broad yeah so in your efforts to introduce music into schools would you say that there are certain types of music or genres rather certain types of genres that should be taught do you get what i mean because if you want to expose children to the possibilities of what music should be a lot of times maybe if it's in vienna maybe they'll only teach them classical music will they also teach them salsa merengue you go you oh, get what okay, i mean I what yeah mean. um classical is the basics for everything for everything we do you know but um we want to teach them nigerian folk tunes it's not about getting the children to do some exam or to be excellent at reading music. But like you said, you're musical. There are people like that who can hear and play what they hear. We want to encourage that. There are those who would latch on quickly to reading. So it's generally making music available to them and they do what they want with it. So it's not going to be structured like class and exam. It's going to be structured in the form of exposure to musical instruments. And we teach them in, in theory what how to read music and how to play and all that. And we watch how they unfold and how each one uses it. 
So it is after school class. It wouldn't quite be structured like, oh, you have a class and you have to obey a particular, you know, there will be a syllabus, you know, but we want as much as possible for exposure to these instruments and music forms and what have you and see what the children make of it. Yeah, I think that's so powerful because I, I, I don't really think that sometimes we understand the power of exposure. Mm-hmm. Like literally, exposing someone to something can change yeah, the trajectory yes, of yeah, positively yes. or negatively. My, my assistant, um, Joseph, he was almost in tears when we went to the first school because he said this was him. He went to a government school at Festac and he said he failed his way right up to SS2 and someone showed up in school with violins and drums and that's when he started playing the violin. And he said, and suddenly school became very interesting. So he is so fired up for this program because it changed his life. He went from not knowing what he wanted to do to suddenly realizing, I want to play this instrument. He's an exceptional musician. And he plays, he has, you know, he plays here at churches. He has jobs at uh, bars and restaurants that need them for the weekend. So he's constantly busy, of course, as well as the work of uh, the Vesta Orchestra, you know. I'm quite proud of, of him and what he's accomplished. So I look forward to such uh, more stories. Now, you talked about sponsorship. It's vital to the work you're trying to do. Yes. How? <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like for people who listen to this podcast, you know that this is heavy on my heart. Uh-huh. How do we... And there are people who are supportive and who understand the vision. Yes. But lots of times, whenever, you know people that are into the arts or whatever it is are trying to make a positive change in the country or on the continent. There's no encouragement. Yes. And it seems like foreigners are the ones who get it. So how do we, is it even a lost cause to even try to change it? Or is there, how, how do we go about changing that mindset to say, we need to buy into what we do as opposed to waiting for some foreign person come and support Rosalind and you know the Vesta Orchestra and then when they eventually become successful oh my god I don't know how to change it I'm struggling to understand it in the first place and many times I've been tempted to go for a whole summer and start the Vesta Orchestra in, in Austria with a bunch of white people and see if I don't get support from white people because she's playing with white people and she's playing African music you know And here in Nigeria, you know, you're looked down on and completely ignored. I had asked, um, I had spoken with um, someone who talked to one of these big companies. And they said, oh, no, it's too niche for us. We we need to support things that the masses move with. And I thought to myself, that's very interesting. Um, On the one hand, you understand that um, they have a target to meet. But I often ask myself, where is the social responsibility? Nobody's interested in that. And... I, I don't know that you can change that mindset. I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying it's possible. But if people who should know better, who are exposed, move with the masses, then you ask yourself, okay, um, maybe we just keep working until we get the right attention, you know, which is what we're doing. Well, I'm not, at the beginning I thought, because we've gotten so close so many times and it's exhausting when it gets like that. And then after some time I just said, you know what, this is going to work one way or other. You know, I can't tell you how, but um, we're just going to keep strategizing. We're going to keep planning and we're going to keep working. And at some point, the fire will light up. I don't know. Some people say that sometimes it seems like Nabuk, we know. But yeah, we are not able to look beyond just 
cramming information. Like there's more to like curiosity is the watch word. Mm. It's not just about mm-hmm. going to school, getting A's, be getting masters, getting PhD. You know, like it's not, I don't know, I don't know. It, it bothers me. Go ahead. Um, when I think of um, um, I had a question the other day. Okay, and you mentioned something like ah, people are hungry and this and this and that. And I said after we've eaten, what do we do? We don't have parks. We don't have recreational centers that people can walk into. There are no government spaces, like open spaces for people. So everyone is crammed in their house or in their car. You know, so the quality of life here is really, really low. And it's interesting that we don't seem to be looking to upgrade the standard of living. If we think first immediately about money instead of the human quality of life, the human experience. And then we want to jump on, a, jump on a plane and go to where someone else has made it for themselves. And then we get upset when they don't welcome us. We say they are racist. No, they've made it for themselves. Go and make your own. It was one of the experiences in Austria. Once I met a new person, every time, every single time. So when are you going back to your country? Now, the average black person can think they're unwelcoming, but they are wondering. You are this refined. You, are, you speak our language. You understand certain things. Aren't you going to put what you have into your country? Because it's what their forefathers did. So for them, they don't have the understanding. They don't understand how you can be so intelligent and so and this and that. And then you're living in their country when your country is a mess. A lot of people take that as racism immediately. Instead of investigating what they're saying underneath, they're, they're wondering how your home can be in a mess and you're in another man's home. It's, it's, it's just common sense. And we have to start pushing these questions, you know. And I think we are pushing these questions. It's happening. Because a lot of people are now saying, you know, yeah, I'm abroad. I'm in England. I'm in Canada. I'm in America. But I have a home, for goodness sake. And it's, why can't I go there? Because a bunch of people have decided they're going to hold it ransom. And we can't have what we, we should have as people, you know. So I think there is this push for a better quality of life altogether, you know. And, and I think it's just also important to make sure that you are not in any way shape or form excusing racism oh, no, 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 you no. know because some people may listen and be like okay no, no, <laughs> you know? I, I think racism is a completely different conversation from being held responsible there's the responsibility conversation which is your home is a mess you need to take some pride in in where you come from and go fix it and not just be proud oh i'm nigerian whilst you're in someone else's country because we're very proud when we're in other people's countries very, oh, and they take their nationality very seriously. But the minute we step into Nigeria, we start abusing our home, you know. So it has, I mean, I'm not, I'm, of course, not, not condoning racism. It's just it's a completely different conversation about patriotism, about love for your homeland. You know, it's a whole other. No, yeah, you know, you know, you have to just, I know, yeah, I know. You, Thank <laughs> so you. that nobody will say, you yes, know, you're like, yes. yeah, pro racism. Um, no, I think that, because I was literally having this discussion with a friend that, because you said something that was so powerful. You've made money. You've eaten. What next? Like, I don't think people really understand, understand what that means. That our lives are made up in Nigeria of... The only thing we celebrate are birthdays, weddings, funerals, naming ceremony. Birthdays, weddings, funerals, naming ceremony. That's all we do. We don't engage in anything that helps us grow mentally. 
When Nigerians gather to talk who are fighting about politics or religion, that is not the way of life. That is not a healthy way of life. That's why we're all very quick to anger because we're internally frustrated. There is a mental drainage and, and people, a lot of people are recognizing it now. I see in the mornings when I go walking, wherever you are, on the mainland or the island, where people are walking, it doesn't matter how busy the roads are because they've realized they need to get out. They need to move. And that's blood circulation for the brain is what they're trying to get activated so that they don't die, you know, because it's very easy to die here. Inside, you're still moving around. And the minute someone pushes you, you let off this avalanche of, you know, hate because there's no outlet for expression. There's no way he can go to engage his, his, his brain, to engage himself mentally, to say, what are these people talking about? Curiosity. Oh, this is what they're saying. Just basic, simple things like poetry, evenings, you know, readings, book clubs are springing up, you know. But it really comes with performing visual arts, with, with things that people can, can go and watch and shut off their lives for an hour, two hours. We need more of that here. Our sponsor for this episode is Notam Expertus Nigeria, a promotional communication firm that provides an extensive and innovative range of promotional product procurement services across gaming platforms, financial service institutions, oil and gas, FMCGs, telecommunications, high net worth individuals, among so many others. They are a team of professionals driven by integrity and are committed to activating innovative ideas that guarantee the success of your brand. Some of the materials that they offer printing production services for include t-shirts, face caps, pens, umbrellas, drinkware, and so much more. To find out more about how Notam Expertus Nigeria can help you achieve your custom promotional product needs, call them on 0803-257-7980. You can also find them on Instagram at Notam Expertus, that is N-O-T-A-M-E-X-P-E-R-T-U-S. Amen to that. And it's so it's it's so funny how we don't realize how that impacts and influences so many aspects of our lives, you know? Yes. And still sticking with the point of sponsorship and what you're trying to do with Vesta Orchestra and the foundation, how do we get because I feel like I always say that our leaders are a reflection of us. Leaders do not become leaders yeah. by magic. Yeah. yeah. We they, they come out they of come us. out of us. <laughs> You are in Nigeria, but, you know, it is an African um, organization and what it is you're trying to do. So how do we get Nigerian leaders and by extension, African leaders to understand the value of the art? There's something about consistency is all I can say. And I, I will use the visual arts as an example because it is booming right now in, in Nigeria. It's beginning to move where we want it to move. It's not there yet. I think there should be galleries for the kind of talent we have. I think there should be two art galleries on every street. That's what I think. Because every painting you see, the kind of expression that is coming out of people is so stunning. The quality of work is unbelievable, you know. And more people are realizing, okay, I don't have to go four years to the university. This is what I love to do. And there's a workshop over there and I can do an 18-month course. We need such things, you know, and that's happening with the visual arts. So we need it to happen all around with all the other arts, you know, so that it's suddenly everywhere and in your face. And then those who 
have the ability to sponsor, who have the financial means, suddenly realize this is popular. At the moment, they, they complain about it being niche. Yeah, they can't throw their weight behind this because not enough people know about it, but enough people will know about it very soon. Part of This is part of my thinking, okay, um, with the after-school program. Our goal is a Lagos Opera House. Well, how do you sustain such a thing? You have to include the community. It has to be their opera house. They have to have ownership of it. And the only way you do this is through the school system. When you bring up the children with music, even our point is not, we're not trying to make musicians of them. It's exposure, like I said. In 10 to 15 years, these students who are teaching today will be in public office. They are the decision makers. And it's the memories and the impact that our program had on them that will help them make decisions. And so when we start this, I'm going to encourage my friends who are visual artists. I'm going to encourage my friends who are in theater and what have you. You guys need to do something in schools because we will only infiltrate the system through the schools, the public school system. These are the public office holders of tomorrow. Yeah. So to, just to piggyback on No, no, no. Saying. Yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing when you see some people, some people in positions of power and they have no clue <laughs> about their portfolio. And you're just yeah. like... How? Yeah. How did you get there? Yes. You know? Because one thing you're very passionate about is you've spoken about this concept of, um, hold on, let me find it. I, I think it's so powerful. You said that, you know, we need to see African culture as a treasure trove. Oh, the, a culture, yes. Treasure trove. Yeah, yes. yeah. Can you speak more about that? Coming from Austria, which where I think about 60% of revenue as a country, their GDP is generated through tourism. People coming to see Austria is how they make money. Just think about that, you know. And um, I remember when I studied, when I um, my masters, when I did my masters in international business, one of the most interesting classes was um, statistics, I think it was. And my professor was explaining currency, how currencies of the world are held in their place. And the first thing is trust. The first thing that determines your currency value is trust. It is people's trust in your currency being what it is today, tomorrow. The second point he had mentioned was um, your reputation as a country, which is linked to trust, okay? And if we look at our country, nobody trusts Nigeria. Our image is so bad, and we're not doing anything to fix it. But when you have artists and you have performers who are producing content that shows this is what is going on within the people, it will change your image and it can happen within two years. It can happen that quickly of various concert houses or various uh, uh, theater stages producing plays that go out into the world and tell a different Nigerian story, a different narrative. And people begin to look at it and say, oh, this is different than what we thought. Very soon what you have is a different crop of leaders and then you have of course, we're at a cusp of that happening now by the grace of the Almighty. And you have people who are making decisions, business, economical decisions, coupled with the image of the country changing. Suddenly, you have a different currency rate. You ha your, your inflation will drop. Your perception on the world market changes. And you suddenly have a very strong currency. That's, that, it's that simple as that. There's no mathematics apart from production and, and ex export to the currency and that's what i mean by the treasure trove 
you had said earlier in our conversation that a lot of times what we export is entertainment. Yes. But entertainment is totally different from, from culture. And I think sometimes people actually don't really realize that. Um, what, what was it I heard the other day? Um, Niger Day. I can't remember what it was, but people being so happy about people listening to Nigerian music. It doesn't mean anything um, to your currency that people listen to Nigerian music. They still don't like Nigerians. That's the truth. That is the truth, because no matter how wonderful the music coming out of Nigeria is and how people dance it at night, in the daytime, they are reminded that Nigerians are online scamming people. And there's no narrative to counter that. But when you go to watch a play or you go to listen to a concert at Royal Albert and you see some Nigerians playing, you think to yourself, oh, okay, this is different than I thought. So they have this kind of people in that country. That's the truth. And of course, it can work hand in hand, the entertainment and the cultural angle. But the cultural angle is being completely abandoned for the entertainment. And we have to move them together. And I think to your point about the scamming, because scamming is not a Nigerian thing. Scamming mm-hmm. is what lots of countries, of course. you know, <laughs> I was going to say my second country, they scam too. But, <laughs> they do. Um, you're correct. You're correct. It is not. It did not originate here. I remember my grandfather used to say corruption. There's no word in his language or in Yoruba for corruption. He was trying to say it came with the white man, <laughs> you know? And it's the same thing with scamming. It, it didn't start here. These people do it very well, the, the people who do it. But there are other people who do worse, who do way worse. And no one talks about them. And no one bans their countrymen from entering their countries. As I heard about the one with Dubai now, under a particular age, you can't go there. I mean, just imagine that. Do you know how much they have to hate you to say that? That five people misbehaved, so a country of 200 million can no longer, longer enter, enter our country, or other people under 40 or under 30 or something. I can't remember what the... That is very powerful. That is a very powerful statement. It says that you are beneath our slippers. We don't want to see you. We don't even care about the money you bring. Don't come. That's what they're saying, because there is nothing positive that they see in our being in their country. That's terrible. Just, you know, as we begin to wrap up is the fact that we need to speak out against things that are bad, you know, because like you said, it's great that people are listening to Afrobeats or listening to African music or I'm a piano and all these amazing sounds and genres that are coming out of the continent. But using Nigeria as an example, if we see something that is bad, We need to say that it is wrong. And we need to condemn it very powerfully so that the message that goes out is that we don't accommodate it, but we do the opposite. Uh, He's not the only one. Uh, They did it the other time over there. And people are watching. The Nigerian 419 situation is just like, it's like, it, I'm not saying it's tiny, no, but, but it's, it, it, it doesn't compare exactly. Compare the other things that happen, the good things Nigerians do, Nigerians who, who have companies that employ so many families. Nobody talks about that on a daily. They want to talk about the African print scam all the time, you know, whereas the stories coming out of the US, nobody tells you how people treat each other. They have all these horrible human stories. They bring out the good ones. We don't do that for ourselves. We don't focus on on good stories about ourselves, about our image, you know, and we need to do that. I totally agree. So as we wrap up the serious part of the conversation, as I always (laughs) say, I know you can't give us a timeline, (laughs) but what would your hope, what would your hope be for having the Lagos Opera House? We have a bit more groundwork to do because I believe we're still quite on the ground, you know, fitting the foundation once the foundation is set, I think things will start to fly together on their own. We're still, I mean, it's six years in, 
but it'll, it'll take as long as it needs to take for it to be solid, for it to be part of this culture, for it to become a necessity, and it will. Because it, these things are, I mean, I, I remember how we started six years ago and where we are today, and how, I mean, now there is a standard people look to with performance, and it's our standard, and I'm very proud of this, very proud, because it's what I set out for, you know. And so gradually, as I, as I talk about this, I mean, just the other day with an interview I had, um, after the interview, I got four different phone calls of people suggesting they think the opera house should be at the National Theatre. And so I was thinking to myself, okay, so people are beginning to think about the opera house. That's what it is, okay. you know? So they're beginning to where can it be? So it's beginning to sip in. This is four people who are going to talk to other people. I believe in small beginnings. It's no, I mean, it's a whole uh, what of corn. What do you call it? A cob of corn or what? It grows from a seed. You know, so this seed is being planted. And then I explained to them, will you go to the National Theatre at night? Oh, no, 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 no. Like, exactly. It can't be there. So well, we have to look for another place, you know? And so I, I, I'm very, I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. It's just the little steps to get there that are quite tedious, um, exhausting. Um, and we hope for support as we keep working. Yeah, I, I, you know, like I said, I wish you so much success. And like you said, even though it's challenging, that's part of the journey. And looking forward to you coming back. Oh, and, yes. you know, Telling you're like, exactly. I'm by... coming to advertise on your, I know. On your podcast. And there'll be video by this time, <laughs> oh, like yes. legit video, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Okay, so um, before we go into the fun random questions, <laughs> do you have any concerts that you, upcoming concerts that you like to promote? Yes, 5th November, we have a concert here in Ikoi. But um, the um, details are given only to people who purchase tickets. Okay, so <laughs> if people if people want to come, how can they get in touch with that with them? That's our question. Um, our Instagram is the Vesta Orchestra. Vesta is V E S T A. Okay, that's great. That's great. So, 5th of November, right? Yes. Awesome, awesome. All right. Now, are you ready to go on to the fun? I am ready. Ah, see. <laughs> Rosaline. <laughs> Some people. Mm, mm, I'm I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you. All right. So, first question is, choose one out of the following movies. The Sound of Music, Mary Poppins, or The Extraterrestrial? Mary Poppins. What? <laughs> Do you know I was so sure that you're gonna take sound of music? That's interesting. Sound of music is too serious for me. What? <laughs> <laughs> too serious. It's too serious. Maybe poppins. Are you serious? Yes. Okay, cool. Second question is when you are having a bad or stressful day, what do you do to make yourself feel better? When I am stressed or overwhelmed, I say a short prayer. I go within me because it takes time for me to get overwhelmed or stressed it takes a long time because i do what i love so what i do never stresses me no matter how much i have to run around lagos like you know that's part of it and it's always so i'm, I'm always so happy to do it but some things get to me and it weighs me down and i have to go within myself and pray fourth question is if a genie was able to grant <laughs> you only three wishes <laughs> what would you wish for a genie what to grant me three wishes. okay i want I want a husband and a family. I want the uh, Vesta Foundation to take off. And what is the third one? I don't know. Um, what, 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 what do I want? I do, I do. I'm very happy. Final question okay. is if you could shop for free at only two stores, <laughs> which two stores would you choose? I haven't shopped in six years. I won't lie to you. Dora, I haven't shopped as well because I'm, you know, putting all this money into it. Yeah, yeah. 
House of mm. Frasier and uh, what's the Harrods? Okay. Har- hey, Harrods, take me to Harrods. Well, Genie, number three, Genie, Harrods. Okay. Just lose me there for okay. one day. When they open and when they close, come and collect me. Oh, no. Okay, I love it. So you have made you have made the question the shop for free three stores. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. It has been honestly a great time speaking with you, Rosie. Thank you so much. Do you have any closing words or comments? No, I'm I'm very happy to meet you. Like I said, and um, I believe in the power of the word. So speaking this podcast, I think is very powerful. It's a powerful form of of thank you. Of, you know, no, don't worry. You're just starting, right? You will grow and grow and grow, and one day you'll be so stunned. So I wish you all the very best. Thank you. Thank you to Rosaline Annie. If you are in Nigeria and would like to attend the upcoming Afri Classical concert on Saturday, November 5th, check out the Vesta Orchestra on Instagram for more information. That is at the V-E-S-T-A Orchestra. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate you taking a few minutes to rate us on your favorite podcast platform. It helps the podcast get discovered by more people. Thank you so much in advance. This episode is produced, edited, and mixed by Fala Shade Anosie. Thank you to our sponsor, Notam Expertus Nigeria. The show is powered by Nonconform Productions. Theme song is by John Akinola. You can check out the podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the SNC Podcast. Thank you for listening.